you know, Doris during the game, she's very active, Cece, with like her, her hand motion. She, she'll slap you on the back. And so during the game, she's slapping my hand. Little did I know you were panicked. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Well, and I'm taking out sanitizer and I'm spraying my hands under the table <laughs> during the broadcast. <laughs> What's up, everybody? We're back. Another week. Uh, another Zoom. You know, still quarantine <laughs> on this side, so. <laughs> it's R2C2 safe at home week 10, I think this is yeah, for us, see? this is week 10. But you know what? It, it, it's great because all of our guests, they're pinned down. They can't go anywhere, so they have to say <laughs> yes when we ask them. And today, we get to chat with... Uh, one of my close friends, I know someone you've admired for a long time, see, yeah. and and uh, and just you know one of the one of the best uh, people we have out there when it comes to um, sports broadcasting and and sports analysis uh, and just sports personalities, and that's Doris Burke, DB. We finally got you on R two C two. Man, we've been talking about this for a year or two, and because I grew up a Yankee fan, and you know. Obviously, love CC, and I, I said off camera, congratulations to him on just an incredible career and, and retirement. You. And I'm going to be paying attention to how you like it because I'm not too far away from retiring, CC. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so so far, so good. So uh, it, it's been good. I, I can't wait to get some tea times and get out there and start playing some golf. I'm playing this afternoon, baby. I can't wait. Right after I'm done with you guys. That is, you, you've been pretty consistent getting to play, huh, Doris? You know what? It's funny. I Steve Kerr said something maybe a week ago uh, along the lines of we basically put ourselves in off-season mode. Yeah. And because of the interruption, I thought, you know what? That's a pretty good thought for me because I do believe eventually uh, we'll, we'll go back and it'll probably be later in the summer. So I've tried to take advantage of I, – I, there's a group of three gentlemen that I play here with in Rhode Island and uh, – one of them's tremendous. He's just like, hey, this is our tea time for the week, and let's do it. So, yeah, it's been fun. Oh, uh, that's yeah. awesome. See, I need that type of setup. This is the tea time for the week. Meet us there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Yeah. It's true, see, because, like, if someone tells you, right, like if Amber puts it on your schedule, you'll show up, and you just I'm be there. golfing every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Every, you, every you know? day at 3.20, I, I'm good. <laughs> like, I can do that. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be perfect. Doris, I, I think um, – I have to just go back to something you said, though. You say you're going to join CC in retirement at some point in the not too distant future. Can't be too soon, all right? We need we need you we need you on the airwaves for at least a while longer. Well, you know I love working with you, and uh, you're busy climbing up the ranks of everything you're doing. But I'm 54, <laughs> and I've I've said all along, right? I don't see myself doing what I'm doing north of 60. At that point, my daughter or perhaps my son. Uh, may have children. I could be a grandmother, which I cannot wait to be. And I've been on the road, as you know, for about 30 years. And believe me, I'm not rushing it. And I never say never. But I do fast forward to, to six years from now and think, hmm, you know, what's next on the horizon for me? So we'll see. <laughs> is, is that the toughest part, you think, is just the travel and like being on the road so much? Yeah, Cece, I think that is part of it. You know, my kids are 27 and 25. My daughter, like Ryan, is was scheduled to get married um, in the not-so-distant future. And uh, so those are sort of up in the air and on hold. So I missed a lot when I, you know, my children were young. And um, the timing worked out pretty well in terms of my kids. I didn't really start traveling a ton until they were seven and five. So I did get, you know, sort of the beginning period of their life intensely. I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, but yes, I would say, especially when they were young and teenagers and that, that would be the most difficult part for sure. How about C? Like, I know the season hasn't, um, started yet, so it's been a little different, but have you been able to notice yet anything where you're like, and maybe this will provide comfort for Doris as she, you know, thinks about retirement down the road, but have you, I don't think I've asked you this. Have you noticed anything yet where you're like, Oh, like I really am going to like this part of retirement or this aspect of retirement. (laughs) I think it's just being around, it's being around the kids, it's being around the family, it's being home and like having this much time where it's not a dance competition or baseball on the weekend. And like, we're just here, like we're watching old movies on the weekend. So it's almost like I'm getting to catch up on time, you know, that I miss so much, you know, 
playing for 20 years and then being, you know, missing a lot of the, the, the kids early years. Uh, it's been fun to kind of be, you know, here all together and, you know, have this time. So I think it's just us traveling and, and being together at six. Uh, I'm a, I think I'm going to really enjoy that in retirement for sure. I love that. See, I knew I loved CC anyway, but now to hear him express that, come on now. That, that's right. You, you know, um, Doris, I want to I, I want to take start with this. Okay, you now are in a place where you're you're so established and you're so respected, and I'm not just saying this because you're on. This is you know what I always say about you when we go to arenas um, and we talk with coaches, players, fans. There is a universal level of love and respect for you and what you do. Um, and I get to see firsthand your preparation and just how great you are on the air, both in your analysis and your humor and the way you kind of engage a play-by-play person, which I think is unique to you and, and, and you know how you're able to uh, you know, kind of um, work with your teammates on the air. Um, and you're, you're just great. You're great at what you do, and people all see that now, I think, and respect it. But it wasn't always that way. And as a woman in this business, um, you will know better than CC or I ever will just how long a road to hoe it was to get to this point. And I'm wondering, like, is there a moment where you, because now you're in this place where it's almost hard to imagine people not accepting Doris Burke, this great analyst. But is there, a, there wasn't always the case. So is there a moment where you look back and you think, you know, this is when I could kind of feel the tides change where people understood, I know this game, I get this game, and, and, and my, my thoughts on it are respected as they should be. Well, because you're both in the public eye, you both know that no matter what, you're always subject to criticism. Um, CC, you'll find now that you're, you're entering the broadcasting business and you'll start covering games. Not everybody has the same opinion. I've said this often, you could be in a room with two different individuals expressing opinions 180 degrees from one another on the same exact announcer. And you're right, Ryan, like there was a good 10 to 15 year span where people really objected to me and started when I was on match basketball and probably intensified when I covered the NBA. And at the time, Ryan, I understood it um, because I know this in my own life. When I hear something that's foreign to my ear, the first thing we tend to do is recoil a little bit or at least pause and say, well, that's different. Do mm. I like it? Do I not mm-hmm. like it? And social media and, and CC, I'm sure you, I'd be interested in your take, how that changed over the course of your career. I'll tell you a funny story that just happened maybe a year or two ago. And it just really put into perspective the business and the fact that not everybody's going to love you. Mm. I sit down on the plane. I'm kind of buried in work. It's a really long flight. And uh, there's a gentleman to my left. And, you know, about halfway through the flight, he finally says, you know, I I know who you are. I said, oh, that's great. And uh, he said, my grandmother loved when you were on college basketball because she was a huge Syracuse fan. I said, oh, you know, that's fabulous. I'm so happy your grandma liked me. I said, I love to hear that because it's not universal. And he goes, yeah, I know. My brother hates your guts. <laughs> and, and then this, this guy like realized what he said. And I said, it's totally okay. I know not everybody loves me. And, it's, and the other thing I think I understood was I, I haven't played or coached men's college basketball. Obviously, I coached and played women's basketball. And I haven't played and coached in the NBA. And so, Ryan, I approach the job, and you know this. Just as you handle all your analysts differently, I go about the job differently. I don't have the, uh, the perspective of Jeff Van Gundy or Mark Jackson, right? Th- these men had their livelihood on the line late game. So mm-hmm. I rely on my analyst more. I rely on preparation. If I believe something a coach or player in particular has said to me should make air, If it fits, it's going to make air because I believe the fan would rather hear from the players and coaches than me. But but if you don't mind, and forgive me, Ryan, you know my tendency to ask questions. CC, I don't know where Twitter started or ended in your career. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious from a professional athlete standpoint, you know, when was the advent of it relative to your career? And how much did you pay attention or were you mindful of it? Uh, you know, we just came off the Jordan documentary. He yeah. saw and heard everything. What <laughs> yeah. was your take on the whole thing? 
Um, you know, so Twitter came around like in about 09, which was my first year here with the Yankees. I remember Nick Swisher being like one of the, he was either the first or one of the first athletes with it. And we would always make fun of him. Like, what, like, what do you, you know, you want people to know where you're at and what you're thinking and blah, 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 blah. Um, so it came along kind of later in my career. So I was kind of not for it. You know, I was against it a little bit. And then it really became relevant in my career, honestly, when I went to, to alcohol rehab. And I got a chance to be able to put it out there myself and tell my own story. And that's something that watching that Jordan doc and just seeing how much media, you know, and everything back then, even, you know, because I grew up in that era, anything that was in the paper, like, was that was it. Like, that was the gospel. Like, if it was in the newspaper, then that's how it really happened. So <laughs> not being able to, to to reach your fans like you can today, uh, it seemed like it would have been it, – it's a little harder to be that level of star um, without, you know, social media and letting people know um, who you really are on your own terms. Right. right. That's the advantage to me. You think about um, the ability to craft your own narrative. And LeBron James has been able to do that. He's, yeah. he's following on social media is huge. I just, I love that you guys have that voice now, the opportunity, because I know this, and I don't think it was ever intentional, but periodically, if you're interacting with media and you say something, one small piece of that could be taken out of context. Mm -hmm. And in the days you're talking about where it would, if it was in the paper, it was gospel. There was no retort. LeBron James reacted the other day to something Brian Windhorst wrote in regards <laughs> to the, the George, <laughs> right? And so yeah. you make yeah. a great yeah. point, CC, yeah. like, amen, you guys have a chance to go back and say, hey, no, 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 this is what happened. And then some, but on the flip side of that, I find myself in the comments a lot of the times, like writing something and then erasing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so you got to be careful. But you know, it, it definitely, it definitely helps. You know, being able to have your own narrative and tell your own story. So uh, that that's it's great in that way. Social media for sure. It's funny you say that because there's a woman, Sarah Spain. You know, works at ESPN, and. I don't, I'm not much on social media. I mean, I might, I root for my Providence College Friars. I might retweet a nice <laughs> quote I like or something like that, but I'm, I try not to engage. But Sarah Spain, when these guys say things that are mean or vicious to her, my girl goes at them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, you're out of your mind. Why, why start? I, I'm with you. I might type it, but then I'm erasing it. Right I, I feel even better if, if I type it out and then I can erase it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it feels even better. <laughs> well, you see, Doris, I'm going to give you a little inside baseball here because for a while, CeCe only had control of his private Instagram. Then he yeah. got control of the public. That's so who public knows one. what could happen now? <laughs> now it's good, though. It's yeah. good, like I said. even You know what happened uh, the other day when we, were, we had Justin Upton on? And I was talking about uh, Shohei Otani, and they put that on the MLB uh, Instagram feed and people went bananas, but you yeah. got to understand what I'm saying. Like that guy, you know, he, uh, for me, he's the most talented baseball player I've ever seen. You know what I'm saying? So, wow. and, and people lost their mind when I said that. So, and I was, yeah. I was typing so many replies to people and then just erasing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things is and Doris, kind of what you were just talking about, like, there has to be some level of acceptance of I'm not going to please everybody. And mm -hmm. it's hard because even if you kind of knew that in the past, and this would be sort of the downside of social media that you were talking about, mm -hmm. see, like those people or those opinions didn't necessarily have direct access to you, right? Like because, yeah. you know, I don't know, you know, for the 30% of people uh, at home who don't like, you know, let's just say, I'll use myself as an example, who don't like me as an announcer. Let's hope yeah. it's a lot lower than 30%. But, you know, but like, you know, in the past, I wouldn't have had, you know, I'm not hearing them. They're on home, at home on their couch, whatever. Right. Whereas right. now you're seeing that. And it, like, I mark that for even myself as like one of the levels of maturation. Like when I see someone uh, and they don't, it doesn't happen all the time, you know, but let's say one out of every 20 comments is something negative, you know, mm -hmm. and one out of every, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 is something nasty and negative, you know, like when I was first starting in broadcast, that would get my head, that would bother me, you know, yes. I, I'd want to try and like communicate back with that person to change their mind. And now it's like humorous, you know, or it's just like yeah. entertaining. But the interesting thing is, C and I have talked about this before. 
like every once in a while, someone could say something like oddly specific that could get in your head. Like if they're yeah. just downright nasty, right? Such as? Like yeah, give well, me an example. I'll give you an example. And this is when I, I changed my course where I stopped looking at social media um, and my mentions in the course of a game. I will every once in a while I will break that almost never on a Yankee broadcast because just such an active audience um, every once in a while on an NBA broadcast but almost always I will not check mentions during a game because I was doing a Yankees Angels game uh, in Anaheim with Al Leiter in 2016 it was when Gary Sanchez was going off when he just burst onto the scene and um, like I, it was the first time I think doing baseball like I got like kind of like multiple series stacked up in a row and I was like mm. feeling like a rhythm and stuff. And Al and I were like, man, we're really enjoying working together. This is great. And like at some point in like the fifth or sixth inning, I read like um, some tweet that says like, uh, you know, is there a reason you're you're yelling at me? You're yelling at me the entire game. Why? <laughs> or like or like, can you can you talk to me instead of at me? All I hear is you yelling. And it was like. It's like, wait, am I am I yelling right now? Like, you know, just like was specific enough to like make me wonder. And then Al, he he said something. And the person says like, why are you talking so much? Like, seriously, you're not giving Ryan any time. Like, please stop talking yeah. so much, right? right and it, they were right. just like specific things. So all of a sudden, I'm in my head about am I yelling? Like trying to play with my tone. Al. All of a sudden, becomes a mute in the uh, <laughs> to the point that Michael K texts Al and Michael's good friends with Al and has worked with him forever and goes, "Hey, is something wrong? It's it's it sounds like you're really quiet." And <laughs> afterwards, we both kind of like decided never again during a broadcast. Now, if no. someone just said you suck, that's yeah. not going to affect me because, like, you know, okay, right. like that's but like something specific. Like, see, I remember yeah. you. There was some woman who was tweeting you see about like your arm uh, angle or something yeah, like and that. That's, like, I got off of uh, I got off of Insta. I mean, I got off of Twitter um, yeah. because of that. It was some lady. She was like all in my head, and she would. <laughs> it was after every start, she would be on there. Um, she made like three different accounts just to like heckle me, and then that's when I was that's when I was like, nah, I'm off of Twitter. I'm gonna get off of Twitter because. I would go in and like have a good game and then check to see if she, you know what I'm saying, like mentioned me that day. <laughs> so, nah. I, now, this woman sure. has no baseball. Time. None. Zero. <laughs> at all. Oh, that's a trip, CC. That's the tricky part, right? If you're reading yeah. your mentions, and I mean, right. when, when, it, when um, social media first started, um, mm. Were you were you seeing like things often being like tweeted at you and and, and stuff? I forget exactly when you got on. <laughs> well, one common theme. So when I was, I, you know, I was still doing some reporting for college basketball, and I don't remember what team, but Aaron Andrews was tweeting it, or was doing the same job, and they're yeah. like, "Well, shoot, we got Doris, not Aaron. I wish Doris looked like Aaron." I'm like. Yeah, I get it. I bet you, look like, you hope you look like Tom Cruise too, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, terrific. like, what am I gonna do? And then one time, so I have a Syracuse Temple men's basketball game, and Temple upsets Syracuse. Syracuse was like one, two, or three in the nation. This is right when it first started, and I'm completely inept at the uh, at the format. I don't know how to block somebody, and this man promises to hit me every day for a year because he thought I was Temple biased. And I thought Temple was the story in that game. They're upsetting a top three team in the country. And so finally my daughter, like two clicks, and she goes, don't worry about that guy, mom, he's gone. I said, all right, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Doris, what um, 
you know, speaking of the ascent for you, when you yeah. think about like the early days being an analyst, like what is there, you know, a story you'd be willing to share or like, you know, a couple stories or moments you think of where you're like, like where maybe you even thought these are roadblocks I'll never get past or like yeah. doing NBA games. Clearly, that's not going to be an option for me as an analyst because I'm dealing with this on this level. Like, are there any in particular that that stand out to you when you think back on your road to where you are now? I remember telling both of my children the first time I got assigned to be the reporter on the Big East men's basketball championship game. So the semis and the uh, championship. And I remember being ecstatic. And and my daughter, I, I don't remember which whether it was Matthew or Sarah, but one of them said to me, well, you don't, you don't seem to love the reporting as much as you do the analyst work. Why are you so excited? And I said, because I'm, I'm probably not going to be an analyst ever on the Big East tournament. And within a couple of years, I, I got, you know, I got to be an analyst on that. Wow. And I just, you know, I remember being really excited. And, uh, and you know, we had some incredible, we had Kemba Walker's run through yeah. Big East tournament and then on to the NCAA championship. And uh, I will say this, you know, I was pretty nervous, particularly early on as an NBA analyst, because I, I recognize that I'm going to do the job differently. The first time I filled in for Clyde Frazier, I had a good friend, a male a guy say, boy, how are you going to fill in for Clyde? I'm like, yeah, I don't think of it like that because Clyde had something like 36, 19, and 11 in game seven of the NBA finals. And I can't replicate that. <laughs> so, I just try to be myself and thank God I had Mike Green beside me. And uh, yeah, I always said to young people, like, just be yourself because you know, you can't feign anything. I do think the viewer feels that if you're feigning anything, they they feel it. Yeah. It's kind of like, right, understand or, or like now I know you sometimes you will say to me like, hey, I can't do what this person does. I can't do what that person do. And I'll say, no, you can like you. you yeah, I mean, you you uh, yeah. you there's nothing you can't do um, as an analyst. But I understand that approach because like especially as you're starting out, you're thinking like, right, like, OK, well, um, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't a coach on the sidelines here, but but what can I know stone cold or like or, or yeah. what it might be? But have you felt now as you've kind of like seen that this whole league and its fan base, they value your opinion? Have you felt within yourself kind of the ability to like maybe even go places that at first you didn't feel comfortable going? Yeah, first of all, you know, I, I'm a lot more relaxed on the air uh, than I used to be. I, I, I tell people that the last thing um, I figured out as an analyst was it's okay to have fun. I think <laughs> because I always felt like I was proving myself, I never really relaxed and enjoyed the game as much as I should have early. Yeah. And I was watching the Olympics with my son and uh, the broadcasters were laughing because I can't remember what happened, but there was something and they both sort of, you could feel their laughter and their joy. Mm. And my son just looked at me and he said, mom, what I don't think you understand is when you're having a good time on the air, we are as well. And that was a really powerful moment for me. And then there's been some confidence builders. You know, I, I probably told you the story, Ryan. So indulge me, CC, but like one time Rick Carlisle, who, you know, he's as when he worked for ESPN, he understands our job, but he's still, you know, he's pretty intense in coaches' yeah. meetings. But he made a point of stopping once and grabbing my shoulders. He was on his way out and he just turned around, he grabbed my shoulders and he said, You're doing a good job. And like mm -hmm. I've had a few of those moments, right? And and those and I've said this before, like whether it was Greg Popovich or LeBron James or these men who have in in either public forums or in very private moments with me where we're just, you know, they might stop me as I kind of said with Rick. I've said this before, like they don't understand how powerfully that impacted my confidence mm. to be an analyst on the NBA. Like I know the game. I've, I've been watching it, playing it, coaching it, or now broadcasting it since I was seven. I love it. Like, so if I don't know something, if I don't understand something, I can call Jeff Van Gundy. You know, I can ask the coaches. I'm like, hey, I don't get that. What's that terminology mean? Or what exactly is this coverage? What were you trying to get there? 
Um, and, and to their great credit uh, as human beings, all of these guys are very open and will respond and answer. Now, they may say, hey, don't share that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at least in my own head, I can wrap my, my mind around the concept. I think, too, as a fan listening to you do games, you always have like a, a extra, you know, extra information. Like sometimes when you listen to the players talk, they just uh, assume that we all know what some of that terminology means or the way they, you know, the way we're supposed they like they, they think we understand the game the way they do. And to be able for you to be able to communicate that with the fans, I think that's a lot. I mean, that, that gives us, uh, you know, a lot more insight that we would have, you know, um, otherwise. So I think it's great. I appreciate that, CC. And as I said earlier, like, you know, like I know Yankee fans, if, if CC or Aaron Judge or name somebody says something, you know, in the course of a meeting with a broadcaster and it catches your ear, well, you're going to go shoot. You know, the viewer needs to hear that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're the the reason they're tuning in. They're tuning in to see these players at the very top of their profession do what they do. And uh, so whatever we can do to get them closer, those fans closer to that, that's our job. That, that is, that's the best part of doing our NBA on ESPN broadcast is like, you know, before every game, sitting down with each coach and, you know, usually sitting down with a, a star player from each team and getting, you know, those stories and information, because especially in a day and age where, you know, there's a million different outlets where you can consume information about a team. You want to have something different, right? You want to have something specific yes. that your access allowed. Um, and, uh, you know, it's why it's the same reason why I put such value for Yankee telecasts on going in the clubhouse and talking to guys yeah. because, you know, right. Like, so I can get a specific story about something yeah. like that's unique to the access. Like, I mean, I'm even thinking Doris, some of the, me and you had a lot of Mavericks games throughout the year, and we'll get to right. the Mavericks game in yeah. a moment, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the last one yeah. of the year. But, like, you know, I feel like every single time we went in, see, like, Rick Carlisle would tell us a different story about Luka Doncic that was just, yeah. like, an amazing, unique thing that you hadn't heard that was, like, a good thing for us to share with the audience, like, and um, just kind of... Uh, help color. I think it, Doris. It was one of the games we were doing where he talked about the first time Donnie Nelson called him up about Luca. Oh, Luca, yes. yeah, you know yeah. the GM, and and it was like way. It was like before. It was like the summer before. Um, you know, he was going to be in the draft, and That's was right. just was just kind of talking to him about like you know draft prospects for that year, and he was just like, oh, Luca Doncic is the first pick, no questions asked. He's like. Right. Like, like, you know. like not, even, not even close. And yeah. they look brilliant for it. Yeah. See, I have a question for you because it just this is triggering thoughts in my head. Uh, and somebody asked me about trust, you know, trust between, you know, the people covering a team and um, and, you know, the athletes themselves. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, have there been reporters over the years that you've been wary of? And I'm not asking for specific names, but yeah. like. How mindful are professional athletes of of how a reporter conducts their business? Like, are you paying attention to all that? Or does something negative ha- have to happen for you to say, oh, okay, you know, not going there with that one? I'm, I'm just curious. It's, it's different in different places. Definitely with the Yankees, I, I think because, you know, the media is such a huge presence, I think you have a heightened sense of, you know, who's cool, who can I talk to? Um, and to be honest, I figured that out really quick. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, without having any negative thing happen or anything like that, just watching the room and watching the way, you know, some of the reporters move. There's so many guys in the, in the Yankee clubhouse. Um, you know, you can kind of get the lay of the land pretty quick. In Cleveland, you know, it was a different story. It was only a couple of beat writers, a couple of reporters, and something negative would have to happen where my mom would be like, did you read the paper and see what this guy wrote? And then, and then, and then you're like, oh, I got to look out for that guy. But when you're in New York, you automatically, I mean, that's something that you, you're conscious of because it's such a big presence. But, um, you know, I mean, and I have friends in the media and like something that, you know, Ryan talked about coming down to the clubhouse every day. Every, things change so much in baseball day to day. So to have somebody there that's covering it that comes in and talks to all the guys every day, it just makes us feel more comfortable and we can trust what's being said 
on, you know, the, the broadcast or on the radio is really facts. And we don't have to go out and tweet something after the game, you know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> or erase a tweet. Or erase a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either or. Uh, Dor- Doris, I'll take us back to something I know you and I have been asked about um, a ton of times since it happened. Yes. But yeah. uh, I know CeCe was watching. Yeah, I was uh, watching that game for sure. No way! Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, for wow. sure. Wow. Yeah. So Denver, Dallas, uh, March 11th, you and I are, are there. And, um, you know, um, it, we we had talked during the day about it feels weird. It feels eerie, like traveling around at that time. And I know you experienced travel at that time as well. See, like it it, it felt like everything was starting to close in on us. Right. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of waiting for something to pop. Um, and it did, obviously, that night. Uh, it was already such a um, memorable, and I know usually that has a positive connotation. In this case, I mean it just like literally. But it was already such a memorable experience being on the air that night, going through that broadcast. It was emotional for you and I. I'm wondering, because our, our audience at this point, I'm, sh- I'm sure most of them know, but in case they don't, you know, you ended up testing positive for COVID a couple, COVID a couple weeks after that. Right. As it turns out, you know, that was really maybe day one of you showing symptoms um, yes. of uh, of coronavirus. When you think back now on like that experience and knowing that you're actually doing the game, having, mm. you know, been COVID positive, has it like ha- has it heightened kind of like uh, your memory of it or changed it, altered it, like made it even more ironic? Like how how has that changed your experience of looking back on that game? Well, number one, uh, when Rick Carlisle reached out and a couple of other people reached out, uh, especially coaches or, you know, players that I had been in contact with. And you have to remember, because I was home for several days and then I got tested a week later and then it took another eight days, there was separation between that game and when I finally found out I was positive for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember distinctly texting Rick Carlisle back because he was reaching out to see how I felt. He had left a message. And I just remember thinking I, I could have been shredding the virus at that point. I, I had, you know, you remember we had a little time pregame. And so I was going up to assistants and players and sort of asking, hey, you know, how mindful of this? Are you feeling what I'm feeling? You know, the hotels are emptier. Everybody's a little more cautious. People are entering the plane, sort of looking around and wiping down there. Mm-hmm. And this was just the very start of it. And, um, you know, I, as you know, Ryan and you and I, because we're friends, we've talked about this. The, the one thing I will say is my experience as having been sick and then getting well, I feel incredible gratitude that I am healthy and mm-hmm. that my children are healthy. And the one thought I've had is, you know, dear God, please don't let them get it. You see, see, I'm, I'm curious. This is just, forgive me for peppering you with questions, but you oh, are no a professional, <laughs> professional athlete. And like, one of the things I've thought of, and Ryan knows this because, you know, when people come up to you at the arena or Ryan at the stadium, mm-hmm. you engage the fan because you share a passion for the team or the sport. And so I always engage with fans as much as possible. CC, like if you were still an active player, and this is, you know, this virus is still out there and there's no vaccine, but you, in fact, are playing. How would you approach, like, I've thought of this. I, maybe I shouldn't take pictures with fans because, you know, I, just because I've had it doesn't mean, you know, definitively I can't have it somewhere on my skin and then, yeah. you know, give it to somebody else. Do you think professional athletes need to take a different tact relative to their behavior in the future until we have a vaccine for this. Yeah, I think you I think you kind of have to to be honest and I think it's to be I mean really I mean we see that you know some of the, the leagues are coming back without any fans and I think that's just right. the safest way. Right. If, if you want sports and you want to keep these guys playing, the yeah. safest way is to have no fans in the stands until we yeah. know we got to kind of handle on the virus just because I mean anything can happen. You know, uh the game it was a couple of games before Utah, um, before a couple of guys in Utah tested positive, but they played here in, in uh, MSG and I went to the next game. 
said what's up to Donovan Mitchell. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, yes, you right. never know that, you know, you never know who who has it, who's transmitting it. So, um, the, the the safest way to keep athletes safe is to play with no fans in the stands. And, and you know, uh, for however long we have to do that, that's the only way I see any really sports league coming back just because of the fan interaction. And that is such a big part of, of professional sports. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm I'm curious, you know, if it takes – if it becomes a longer term deal where maybe it is late 21, is there accommodations that can be made? That'll be fascinating. 100% agree that, you know, this idea that we'll start without fans, but curious to see how things evolve. But I, I do think you have to adjust your behavior unequivocally. And I think the fans have got to understand it. I've been, uh, I've been, I've been asking all, all basketball people too. I was wondering if the NBA does come back with no fans and finish the season then they would have to start in December. How do you feel about the, them moving the schedule back and possibly playing through August? Yeah, this is an idea that has intrigued me. And when the NFL added another game to its schedule, I thought, what you know, obviously to, to adjust everybody's schedule without a definitive reason would have sort of felt weird and gerrymandered, where this occasion to me provides you the perfect opportunity by circumstance, by necessity, mm-hmm. to give to give this a look, and uh, no disrespect to baseball, obviously, but we know the pecking order in the country as it relates to fandom, right? The NFL is king. On our best days, at an NBA Finals game with incredible stars and storylines in a Game Seven, the Super Bowl is still dwarfing it, right? And so, yeah. I think to be competing with the NFL at any point in the year is problematic. And so that extra year now, I mean, excuse me, the extra, the extra game on the schedule, I don't think it's necessarily a bad time to, to try it. And here's what I'm curious about. Like all of our viewership has changed, even mine, like I'm a little bit archaic, but my kids will have said, I'll never pay a cable bill. I can watch sports in X, Y, and Z fashion. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm curious, has the, has the fandom changed? So they say people never watch TV in the summer. Well, maybe that's not true anymore. The NBA Finals games are mm. tipping off in August, you know, at 9 p.m. Maybe maybe it's different now. So I'm, I'm intrigued by it, CeCe. I really am. I, I just just during this pandemic, I've, I've figured out I don't need uh, DirecTV or cable. I watch everything on Hulu, Netflix, and then you get ESPN Plus and it's live sports. So it's like, it is, it's... It's tough, you know, thinking about, I don't know, you know, me, I'm a huge NFL fan too, so I have to have the the direct TV to watch my Vegas Raiders now, but... Um, <laughs> You're you know, a Raiders just, fan? I'm a huge Raiders fan, huge. Oh, man, yeah. so I, I grew up a Raiders fan. Like oh, I didn't even Madden. know that, Doris, oh, I didn't know that. Hey, listen, oh. John, John Madden with the damn tie, you know, up over his head. <laughs> I, I remember watching Jack Tatum hit Daryl Stingley. Daryl's wow. coming across on a crossing pattern, I remember that. Do you remember the stickum? You had Clip Branch on one side Clip, and Fred Bolitnikoff yeah. on the other. And Kenny Stabler was a bad man. Now, come on. The snakes are bad. I love those teams. Oh, nice. So you are a real Raiders fan. That's awesome. <laughs> that is hilarious. And by the way, see, you just gave us like exactly why live sports is so important to all these entities, right? Because when you don't have them, you start thinking like, oh, wait, do I need this? Do I need yeah. this? Because you're keeping them because of live sports. Because you know? of my sports, yeah. I, I think the December thing, I think it could work out. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it. I've been a fan of it. I, and I also, I agree with that thing. Like, if if you had the finals on in August on a summer night, like, come on. That's that's awesome and, to me. And like, obviously, you know, I'm a baseball player, but but I'm a huge NBA fan, and I hate to, to say it, but, you know, people don't really start watching baseball in August anyway. So if you have all that space during the spring and everything for – Big basketball games, you just start the schedule on, like right before Christmas, have the big games, and then you have the whole spring kind of to, yeah. you know, do your own thing. The only thing they'd be competing with is the NFL draft. And, you know, you get some big games, and, and uh, I think it'll, they would just take off. It would be it'd be great to watch basketball all summer, to be honest. I know it would suck for them because they yeah. used to having the summer off. Which I was always jealous of playing baseball. I'm like, well, I got to work on the Fourth of July. These guys are out on boats and hanging out, and I'm the entertainment on the Fourth. Like, so I know that would suck, but it'd be good to have them the entertainment for a little while. Uh. <laughs> 
Doris, I'm wondering, um, you know, when we talk about storytelling and that and, and some of the luminaries in the game, you know, I, I've always seen like LeBron James, he'll always come find you before every game to say hi, give you a couple minutes if you have something you want to ask. He doesn't do that, in my experience, with the vast majority of you know people because he's so locked into his you know pregame routine or whatever. Or maybe he doesn't have the relationships or a combination of both. Um, and you've obviously covered him a variety of ways. Analysts, you've had big interviews with him as a sideline reporter on the finals. Is there a story or two when you think of LeBron that you know comes to mind, um, either from your interactions with him or just things you know about him from covering him that that kind of like you feel like is yeah you know what that's kind of a cool encapsulating story about LeBron James. Yeah, you know what, Ryan, I just have such extraordinary respect for LeBron James because um, you know he has overcome some incredible challenges in the course of his formative years. And um, he's never forgotten where he's from. He goes into Akron, Ohio, he finds the most at-risk kids, and he provides absolutely everything necessary um, for them to try to succeed. I also know that you know, his greatness is not accidental. And um, you, know, you see the work he puts in and, uh, and what, you know, that it's basically a 24-hour cycle for LeBron James, you know. Um, and I just, you know, I feel lucky to have covered him. Um, you know, he's one of the all-time greats in the history of the sport. And to be able to have witnessed that up close and in real time, sometimes I just pinch myself. I'm just like, holy smokes. <laughs> you know, like, I remember when, when he made the decision, and obviously it was poorly executed, and he would be the first to tell you that. And, uh, but it's like, if that's the guy's greatest mistake in his life is, is you know, not having a, a little bit more touch and announcing that he's leaving Cleveland, God bless us with mm -hmm. everything that man has come through and who he is as a person and what he dedicates to his craft. I just, I remember being in the Boston Garden for his redemption game and him carrying that Miami Heat team through a series against, you know, championship caliber Boston Celtics, great coaching with Doc Rivers. Uh, to, to watch the vitriol of the first year in Miami, the mm -hmm. devastation of a finals loss, and then the ultimate redemption when you finally get it and, and seeing the pure joy on that guy's face uh, and knowing that, you know, you know, he's a family guy. I don't know. I just, I feel lucky. I mean, none of us is perfect. No individual is perfect. We don't make all the right choices. And stylistically, you may not, you know, like LeBron or whatever, whoever, you know, CC, you know this, right? There isn't an athlete, I don't care how good you are, that is immune to criticism. And I think I would be curious your take, like, when you're handling criticism as an athlete, how much of it is either your personality, your experiences, a teammate or your family picking you up, like, it's not, it wasn't fun when people hated my guts when I covered it. It's not <laughs> fun to be criticized, right? Like, I'm just curious from an athlete's perspective, trying to navigate criticism, to navigate the ultimate heartbreak that's inevitable in your job, and then the joy. And sort of how do you, how do you handle all that? Or how did you? Nah, it, it was two people that definitely helped me throughout my career handle, you know, a lot of the criticism and, you know, obviously playing here in New York. I always go back to playing here. Um, you know, it was my mom and my wife. That, you know, as soon as I left the stadium, um, you know, I, we have four kids really young. So as soon as I left the stadium, um, you know, they didn't care if I threw a no hit or if I gave up seven runs. So, you know, me and my wife made a conscious effort to, to as soon as the game's over, if I leave the stadium, then – you know, I don't think about it again until I pitch five days from then. When I was younger, it would be my mom. I would always, you know, if I had a bad game, I'm getting criticized or something's happening in the newspaper, um, I could always just go to her, sit down and talk with her, um, and she would pull me out of whatever kind of slump or whatever I was in. Um, but for me, I always put so much pressure on myself. And, you know, playing here, I, I, I watched Derek Jeter get booed. You know what I'm saying? So who am yeah. I to not – hold myself to that standard. If I pitch bad, I expect to get booed off the mound. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's, that's just the standard of playing for the Yankees and, and playing in the Bronx yeah. that I think we all feel. And, you know, to be able 
to be able to do that for 11 years is a blessing. And, and, and uh, you know, the only way that, that you can, I feel like, do that and take that, take that pressure is to have that, you know, be humble and, and have that, sen- that, that sense of, you know, you want to pitch well every time out, whether it's April or October. It, it's got to be, it's, it's all the same to those Yankee fans. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a little like playing at Duke. There's a level that's a, it's a fishbowl. Uh, you, you, I do think it's a unique athlete that can handle and thrive in the pressure of that. And I know there are athletes who would disagree and say the media is the media, no matter where you are. And certainly the world is smaller, (laughs) but New York is a market unlike any other in my estimation. And maybe it's because I grew up a New York, New Jersey kid. I just feel like it's a different deal. No, it's just like when you walk into a baseball clubhouse, you know, some of the, you know, if you walk into somewhere, you know, a, a different team, a, a different organization, you know, it's five reporters at the most. You walk into right. the Yankees clubhouse, it's 25 guys. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it's, right. it's right. just, it's a different level. And, yeah. you know, you feel that pressure every day, for sure. Greg yeah. Popovich always talks about uh, being in San Antonio, or not always, but he's mentioned it in the past. It's, you know, Pop is probably coaching in the exact market he needs to. <laughs> <Perfect plan. laughs> Can you imagine him with the New York media? Yeah. Oh. You know what's funny too, Doris, about Pop? Like people always, you know, they always ask about Pop and, and you and I know like when you go in there for the coaches meetings we were talking about before, he's like as good as it gets in those meetings. Like he, yeah. it's it's interesting because, you know, if you ask an unthoughtful question that can be answered in one word, he'll answer it in one word and you'll think all of a sudden you'll be like, wait, but I thought we had a good relationship. Now he hates me. I don't understand. You know, but, but he, he, uh, I mean, when you, when you ask a question that, you know, he deems thoughtful or, or that, you know, is open-ended, I mean, he'll give some of the most interesting, thoughtful answers you know, you could ever hear. Um, and, can I can I tell yeah. you one story? I would love Ryan, that. That's where we're going. Yeah, that that encapsulates who he is. I think for and listen, I'm not going to pretend that I haven't had my frustrations when I've been the one to have my head handed to me in those interviews. Like right. I know America enjoys that for the person standing <laughs> there. That's not a whole lot of fun. But that's not who he is. Okay, so. Everybody remembers the Ray Allen sh- shot with the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. And I am courtside and the red, uh, you know, whatever you call it, the, the basically the protector of the court is there because the expectation is San Antonio is about to win the NBA championship. And I'm about to be escorted onto the court to go ahead and do the interviews until Ray Allen hits that shot. And then the Heat win in seven. So Greg Popovich has just experienced absolute devastation at the highest point of his profession. And our paths cross in Miami arena. And I just, I see him coming and he's got a, uh, he's changed his clothes, but he's got a, you know, a travel bag in his hand. And the first thing I do is I sort of step back, right guys. I mean, I step back because I want to clear away so that this man doesn't have to say anything to me. I don't know what to say to him. I can barely look him in the eyes. I'm heartbroken, not heartbroken for them, but you know, I feel for them. What do you think he does? She sees Sabathia. He literally sees me. Now it's game seven. He's lost the (laughs) NBA finals. This guy stops me and says, now Doris, what are you going to do in the off season? And I am, I'm taken aback. And I was supposed to make a trip that uh, that summer to to Napa Valley. Obviously, everyone knows he's an onophile, you know, loves his wine. And he said, do me a favor. He said, call my office, give my secretary your email, and I'm going to I'm going to send you something. Well, this guy sends me the most lengthy, lengthy, detailed email. Go to this winery, have lunch here, do this, do that. So like. You want to talk about perspective, mm. understanding sports and its place and what, what, you know, what's really important in life. I, I was blown away by that. To me, that is the very essence and definition of who that man is. Not those 15 seconds of 
just disastrous to me <laughs> you know what? that are <laughs> that are painful to go through. You can tell Pop gets people. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody that comes across him, they love him. You know, everybody yeah. likes everybody. He's he's obviously you know hard and demands a lot, but he he can relate to everybody, and I think that's what makes him so great. I just think he hates doing the in game interview. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, just, he, just, he just hates that. <laughs> he, he hates being taken away from his coaching. You know, I, yeah. I always, to what you're saying, see, and bringing it back to a guy we were just talking about, I always was curious what it would have been like to see LeBron James coached by Greg Popovich because mm. he's always given such public praise to Pop, uh, deservedly so. And, you know, and... LeBron's such a big figure that no matter how much he may admire his head coach, LeBron's always going to tower over his head coach as far as the biggest presence of a team, right? Well, Pop may be the only guy who that wouldn't be the case with, right? And and if you're LeBron James, because you know this guy knows what he's talking about, do you look at that as an opportunity of like, you know what? This guy's probably going to annoy me sometimes, but man, he is going to make me that much better, which obviously a player like LeBron is obsessed with, right? He's squeezing every ounce of of success yeah. he has in him out. Um, and I know we may see it, you know, with the Olympics uh, right. next year. And, and, you know, I certainly, you know, we'll look forward to, to that aspect. But I always was like, man, I would have loved to see those two in an NBA setting and what that yeah. would have been like, you know? I, because, I feel like the equivalent to that is like Brady and Belichick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, where, where they're both kind of the, the star of the team and it worked for however many years until it didn't. You know, and yeah, now he's in Tampa, right. so... You know, I mean, I feel like those relationships can work if if the athletes willing to, you know, um, give up some of the power and 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 really, you know, listen to the coach and, and kind of take in what he's saying for sure. Yeah, Doris, I, I want to go back to uh, just to you know the the Dallas Denver game just for a moment and um, and kind of like um, you know you know where we were at with the league and then the aftermath of that for you. Um, because you're right, it was weird, right? Because you don't get your positive test for weeks after. So anybody who was in contact, like me, I, you know, I, I'm gonna go get the antibody test. Cause <laughs> shit, my my color commentator, she had it right next to me. I better have those antibodies, right? But but I, I'm wondering, like, maybe the lag time took this away. But you know, obviously, there was this feeling of just pure fear and panic in the weeks after that. And obviously, some of that still exists right now. But it has certainly, with knowledge, comes power. And I think, you know, even though there's still obviously a wave of fear that's striking all of us in a new reality, it's not the same as when that when it first hits and you're like, whoa, you know, this is creeping down us. I can even remember you and I seeing the first American to get it together. We were having drinks after one of our games weeks before and me being like, yeah, but he was American, but he was you know, on the cruise ship, so it's not in America, yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? It was a different atmosphere. Was there ever a time after that that you felt afraid, that you were worried at all in the aftermath as we're kind of feeling this blanket of fear and you know you probably um, have COVID and then get the confirmation? First of all, how unlike us to have cocktails post-game. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not our style. So not our style. Um, I, you know, I, I do – it's funny um, – I, I didn't feel fear, and you and I both feel that a call from Tim Corrigan, who's our coordinating producer on the NBA, asking us how we felt mm-hmm. and, you know, about being out on the road. And to be honest with you, because we're both fairly healthy and try to do all the right things, and, you know, I, I didn't feel fear. Um, and even when I was sick, and I think, thank God, I did not have, you know, my symptoms were not the scary shortness of breath, pressure on the chest. Mine were extreme fatigue, uh, you know, blistering headaches. And that was the extent of it. So, I I mean, I was very lucky. Um, I think the fear for me was, you know, my daughter and her fiance came to my place outside Philadelphia because they're both attorneys, their respective places of employment closed. And at the time when I got home that next day, it didn't really dawn on me. I just thought I was exhausted or as you know, Ryan, and I said this to you, I think I'm run down. I had had a, I'd been on get up on, you know, several occasions up at 5 AM planes, trains, automobiles, all those things. I just thought, okay, I'm run down. I need, you know, 
I just need a little rest. You and I had talked about, I was going to fly to LA to stay in a hotel for a couple of days rather than go east to west and back. Yeah. Yeah. I think the fear for me became once I had the positive test, my daughter started to have some headaches and mm. fatigue. And I thought, Oh man, I don't, you know, I don't want this to go south. They dissipated pretty quickly. I certainly understand, you know, what's interesting to me and uh, Cece, again, I'm going to throw it back to you because like hearing some of these NBA players, um, Larry Nance, obviously he has some pre-existing conditions that obviously, you know, put him more at risk, but he's not the only one who has expressed concern. I, I watched Jay Crowder do an interview, even Chris Paul in this, you know, when he said, I, I desperately want to go back. Um, but, you know, we got to have the right set of circumstances. Cece, what's, if you were pitching again, you know, like, how would you feel? I listened to that young man who is a brilliant pitcher and, you know, talk about the money and people reacting mm -hmm. the way they're going to react. Just from a pure safety standpoint, do you think you would have felt any fear? I, I, I definitely would have felt fear. And, I, and, and even, you know, um, just if I'm a special assistant going around there, I feel a fear, you know? Um, I just feel like until we can get a real handle on it and really understand what's going on, it just doesn't make any sense to gather, you know, whether that's pro athletes or not. And I think a lot of guys feel like that. And, um, you know, I mean, guys definitely want to play. Obviously, we know LeBron want to get back out there. We know CP3. We know, you know, Giannis wants to play. Um, but I, but I think having families and having kids and, you know, having, you know, being around your parents and all of that stuff, um, is it more important? And that comes first and, and until everybody's safe, um, it, you know, to me, it just doesn't make sense to, to play until we know what's going on for sure. I so appreciate you saying that because I, and I always say this, Ryan, and I've said it to you before and I'm, I can be guilty of it, right? You know, we watch these men ply their craft. And we think they're almost superhuman. Like I've been watching the NBA since I was a kid. And Ryan, I, I've actually had colleagues of ours in different sports say to me, you know, because I kept saying how thankful I felt. One of them said, do you think that's because you've had the virus and maybe you have immunity? And I said, yeah, I mean, they don't definitively know. But, but both of these guys, because I was on a text chain with two of them, expressed concern like, they're like, it's a matter of time for us because of the way we conduct mm -hmm. our lives mm -hmm. and until yeah. there's a vaccine. So I think the fear is real. And for athletes to admit it and to know that, yeah, every, all of us feel unsettled. All of us feel uncertain. And it's totally OK. And even maybe even getting back to normal with you guys traveling so much and being on planes. And it's, you know, it's one thing for teams to travel because. You know, we're, you know, traveling on charters, everybody's together, yes. blah, blah, blah. And I still wouldn't even trust that, you know, because <laughs> so many different teams use yeah. each other's planes, you know. Um, right. But but just the way, you know, everybody has to travel, the media has to travel, getting getting around from city to city. Um, it's just hard not to to think that it would spread, you know, trying to get back to, to normal sports, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, it's so interesting because even as we were going through that time, I'm a, like you and you know this, see, I'm a germaphobe anyway. Um, he has that hand sanitizer working yeah, on me March too. 11. I, got, I have it everywhere. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, you know what? I'll tell you the funniest thing. I think I've shared this with Doris, but if not, it's, 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 it's going to seem rude, but then it's going to seem prudent. So I was so upset. And that last road trip, I'm a nervous wreck as I'm flying and everything, going through that Wiping everything time. down. Oh, my gosh. Wiping everything. I mean, honestly, I felt that – I felt hesitant about travel from – I think yeah. the time we went out to Arizona, see, to do yeah, um, yeah. to do what we did a bunch of spring training R two C two interviews, and I flying was back like, that day. Flying back that day is when I, everybody started having masks, and I'm like, man, should I have a mask on? Like, Ooh, I have yeah. my whole thing of Lysol, like I'm wiping everything down, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm if I'm prepared. <laughs> like, like everybody's ready except for me. But remember then at that time, the WHO was like, no, only wear a mask if you have symptoms. Like, don't wear yeah. it if you don't. You know, this was before they knew you could be asymptomatic, et cetera, whatever. Right. And I know, like, it, it was weird how it was changing. And I was already like, ugh. And, um, and so then that the March 11th date, 
um, as we're doing. The, I'm all, now I'm in like it was funny. I had done a game the day before in L.A. and I'm sitting on the bus and Sarah Kustak, who's a really good friend of mine, you know, my, my analyst with the Nets, Doris knows well also. She comes and she's like she's a close talker. She's the friendliest person ever. Like she, she's just a, she's a sweetheart, but she hugs everybody. So we're already having our jokes with her. Like, oh, Sarah, I mean, you're getting this thing like we know you are, you know, like, and, and so but she comes and gets on the bus and she and everybody now is starting to keep conscious of like having some space and stuff like that mm. and she sits right down next to me is like talking this close to me and i like kind of like i jump back and sarah's like cracking up later on she's like i scared the hell out of, Ro- out of rooks like you know like, <laughs> I was like oh. but so as doris you know doris during the game which is usually i think a great thing she's very active cc with like um you know her her hand motion she, she'll slap you on the back and she's just like she's engaged she's into the game you know um and you you know what doris you and doug collins both uh are this way doing a oh, game. Yeah. And, if somebody's yeah. dribble driving and they're yeah. leaning in for contact, I'm leaning into you. Like, I hundred <laughs> percent. Like I am taking fouls during the broadcast. Okay. And, and, and I love it. And it's great. And so during the game, Doris is like, she she's slapping my hand like and slapping my hand like she always would and she's slapping my hand and i'm taking little did i know you were panicked yeah right exactly well and i'm taking out sanitizer and i'm spraying my hand under the table during the broadcast (laughs) no of course like what's hilarious about it is at that period of time i'd be doing it regardless it's not because doris is having headaches that day or it's a COVID. i'm just a germaphobe but afterwards i'm like you know, oh, if I don't have those antibodies, it's because I was spraying the damn. <laughs> I, I think three times a quarter you were putting sanitizer on my hand. <laughs> I was. I was giving you squirts all game. Yeah. And we also, like in Dallas, we have a, a, a an overeager, although she's very positive, uh, stage manager. And she's like, she's like oh, yeah. getting all up in the grill. And like, I'm seeing her. And so at one point, I see her like, wipe her hand over the top of like my tea and I'm like I can't put my mouth on that thing now (laughs) so I'm like going through the whole thing but you know but the interesting thing is you know what you were just bringing up see about travel I do think like you know there will be now let's say I have the antibodies Doris you obviously do you know maybe there will be more um kind of like comfort, you know, with more and more scientific evidence, as it seems that there is some level of immunity when you have the antibodies, right? But um, if I didn't or something, you know, to your point, see, like, you're getting on the planes, and I think there is going to be some sort of like, like, because you want to still do your job, right? You still want to make your living um, and have that feeling, but you're going to have some feeling of like, I know I'm like going, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm putting myself at some level of risk. Man, let me tell you something. For the rest of my life, I will always have a Lysol, uh, the wipes, (laughs) whether in a bag or the whole thing in my carry-on to wipe down my seat forever. That's just just the way I'm going forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll get back to shaking people's hands and all that stuff, but, but but on a plane, I'm wiping everything down. I've always traveled with, uh, just packages of Clorox wipes prior to the virus. Uh, but it'll be, uh, it'll be a lot more than that now. That's for sure. <laughs> well, D- Doris, I'm wondering, and we have a couple questions uh, from social media I want to get to, but just from like, a, when you think about like what you miss right now about yeah. uh, sports and, and our jobs, uh, mm-hmm. what's the, mm-hmm. it, what's the thing that kind of like resonates with you most? The intensity of the playoffs, and you know this. I mean, the regular season games are incredible, and uh, every night, like, I know I talk to colleagues who cover college basketball, and they're like, God, every trip up the floor, you know, the NBA, they're capable of something spectacular, and that's true. But the ratcheting up of intensity, the the air in the arena is almost tangible. Mm. The intensity is palpable, and we would be – uh, at this very moment, I think we'd be close to the conference finals, which would have been in the East for us. So I'd say the intensity of the playoffs right now is what I'm I'm really feeling the absence of. Yeah, I think we all are. We're missing that. All right. We know you got a tea time, Doris. You're already giving us a wealth of time. We'll take a couple quick um 
uh, Twitter questions. Josh Benjamin wants to know best NBA interview top three. Best NBA interview top three. Oh, like boy. I guess people to interview. You know, whether coaches, yeah, players, whatever. Right, right, right. Um, but put LeBron at the top of the list because he's always so thoughtful, and I've actually, you know, had his moments where, um, you know, they've been just, you know, critical. Um, boy, I'll tell you one that that got away from me, and I know he feels bad about it. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki wins the championship. And if you remember the scene, he sprints into the visitor's locker room. And I heard him on a Zach Lowe podcast say, I always regretted I stiffed Doris. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> he's, he's one of my favorite guys. And, uh, and so, you know, he, he would be uh, somebody that I, I have enjoyed interviewing at times. I, I had his flu game. Uh, yeah. in the finals, yeah. you know, where he had the temperature north of 103 degrees. And so that was kind of a cool one after they win the game. Um, boy, there's so many, I, I could go on and on, you know, it's, it's one of my, I, as you know, Ryan, I like the analyst role much better, but I have felt so blessed to, to, to talk to these guys. And it's not, that's not an easy situation. TC, you know, that like, you know, you're, you have the adrenaline running through your body and you're trying to process thoughts and answer questions and it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic between the uh, interviewer and interviewee b crosby had wanted to know about that final night of the nba so we took care of him take one more joel tomey uh says since the last dance has concluded what basketball topic would you like to see a 10-part docuseries about next Ooh man I mean, could we get a little docu-series on how the uh, Isaiah Thomas get uh, staying off the Olympic team came yeah. down, really? <laughs> oh, man, uh, that would be worth watching, for sure. And the, and the whole Detroit Pistons and the animosity and the feeling. I mean, I, I guess there's a million, you know, the, the, the dominance of the uh, Golden State Warriors pre-Kevin Durant with Kevin Post, all that stuff would be uh, pretty incredible. You think about the NBA Finals a year ago, and they were dropping like flies. I will never forget when Clay Thompson goes down last year, and in the aftermath of everybody else, you know, it's a, to see Clay, uh, Clay. Mike Green told me after the game, Ryan, I had given the report on Clay when he injures his knee, and apparently the camera stayed on me longer, and I just shook my head like I couldn't believe it. Like oh. if that was the end of an era and dynasty, there was plenty of topical material to cover. But I'll I'll never forget those injuries, just one after another after another. Yeah, Cece won't either as a Warriors fan. And you know oh. what's crazy is that like so dynasties end so messed up sometimes, and if that's the way that that one ended, like it's crazy. But yeah. to the the way that the the Bulls dynasty ended was crazy too. Be, not getting a chance to go for seven because of you know things that was happening in the front office. Like it's yeah. just it's it's weird how those things end, but. It's it's even crazier that the Bulls ended on a win, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like they ended they ended up winning the championship and then not, and then breaking up, as opposed to everybody getting hurt like the Warriors or you know different the way different dynasties break up. Yeah, and how quickly, how abruptly everything can change, and for a variety of reasons, you're right. Doris, you're amazing. You're the best. We could talk to you all day. Thank you so so much much for doing this. Yes, this was a blast. This was so good. I miss having you. You know, I I miss our wine after games. Like, we we did have our cocktails after that Dallas-Denver game, by the way. We we (laughs) sure did. Cece, I've got to tell you, I'm so, I'm so, I mean, I love Ryan, and uh, I'm just so happy I, I was finally able to make the pod. And I'm wishing you and your family absolutely all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on and look forward to watching you more on ESPN for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Be well. Hopefully sooner than later. That's Doris Burke. You guys know the deal. New episodes every Thursday. Rate, review, subscribe. R2C2. We're out. Peace.